Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. phrase you get out what you put in listen there's a lot of truth to that in a lot of different ways i mean when it comes to physical health mental health spiritual health but today we're going to look at something because see what matters is not so much what you put in but also where you put it in and so today we're going to look at how god has designed for us to be encouraged by him all right especially when we go through discouragement so that he can empower us in a way to live with the right kind of confidence. If you've never done a like a slow cook study of a book, I highly recommend you do it because a lot of times when we read Bible verses, we tend to read it in, in sections and in chunks and we look at a text and we don't even observe the context, right? In the whole thing of what happened before and after it all that matters. And so the thing that I've noticed so far is so many things, but as we look at the book of Acts, man, there is a pattern that we see from the very beginning, a pattern that has a purpose to it. And the pattern is a, a constant rhythm of encouragement, a constant rhythm of encouragement. The book of Acts starts with Jesus encouraging his disciples, saying, hey, guys, I know I'm back, all right? I'm back, but I'm about to go. And so he's encouraging them on what is going to happen next and what they need to do. And my, my dude leaves, right? And so he leaves, and then something he's going to do something beautiful in this world. And, and after that, we see just uh, the... When the Holy Spirit falls down, we see the church encouraging others, telling them the truth about Jesus, telling them about what he's accomplished for us, the forgiveness of our sins and all those things. And then from there on out, that is all we're seeing, guys. It is nothing but a repeat, a repeat, a repeat. Every episode is kind of the same, but little tweaks. You know, it's just like any of your favorite shows all has a theme to it. That's what makes it popular, right? One of my favorite all-time shows ever, I Love Lucy. Still can't get over that show. Love that show. And I Love Lucy is one, I'll, still to today, I'll enjoy. But let's be real. Every episode, if you don't know I Love Lucy, every episode is the same. Lucy's crazy. She gets herself in some shenanigans, right? And they're all kind of like figuring it out. And at the end, they're all laughing and hugging together, right? It's kind of like one of those things. And so it always ends like that. And so now it's the same episode, same thing, but it's just different every time. Guys, that's the book of Acts. It's just episode after episode of different circumstances. But in the end, it's just people encouraging others in the truth. Paul constantly, how many times have I read and said that? Paul would go from town to town encouraging people in the truth. Barnabas is called the son of encouragement. That was his nickname. He was such of an encourager. And that's all we're doing, seeing is a pattern of encouragement, pattern of encouragement pattern of encouragement. And the more people did that, the more revival just took off because they weren't just doing anything else, but just encouraging others in who God is, what he's done. And that's what we're called to do too. And the purpose of that, right? The purpose of that pattern is to encourage us because guys, you and I get to read the book of Acts, which is the origin story of the church. And it is an encouragement to us. So we see that despite all of the circumstances, despite everything that the devil threw at this church that had no technology, all right, no means of transportation, they had everything stacked against them. And even still to this day, secular scholars are confused on how did the church have such an impact in the world in such little time when they, you know, they didn't use swords. They didn't use this. All they did, well, they did use a sword. Right? Sword of the Spirit, it was the truth. They did wield a different sword, and it's still confusing to this day. And so the purpose was to, in the same way that we see the patterns of encouragement, the purpose is to encourage us that no matter the things, the obstacles that we may face in this world, if, the, if God's, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit allowed them not just to survive, to thrive, same thing and same promises go for the church today, that despite our obstacles and circumstances, we cannot just survive, but we can thrive in Jesus' name. Our faith can thrive. And so that's an encouraging word. I love that. And even the word encourage, right? Encourage means to build confidence in, right? Even the word encourage, it means to put courage in you, right? It is to put courage in you because you lack it, right? And when you are encouraged, you now gain a sense of confidence to be able to face the world. But what's the opposite of encourage, guys? Shout it out, type it online. What's the opposite of encourage? 
discouraged. And what does discourage mean? It is to lose confidence. It's to dislocate something. It's to remove it, take it out. And now there is a lack of confidence in this thing. And so the enemy wants to do everything possible. When I say enemy, I'm because we believe devil and demons are real. And listen, the enemy wants to do everything possible to discourage every Christian in the faith. All right? He'll take every opportunity, every conflict, every question, our own little internal conflicts. He'll take everything possible to discourage you, to lose your confidence in the truth, lose your confidence in God. But rather, this is why we, as a, as a church, we should constantly be sharing the truth with each other to encourage. Because we all got things that discourage us all the time, yes or no? There is a laundry list of things that just discourage and, and to, you know, bother us. And so even more, we need to be encouraged despite the conflicts, despite confusion, all of those things. We need to be put courage in us. And notice even that, where does that courage come from? That encouragement comes from the outside. It's not built in us, right? It needs to be put in us. Now, there's things that you and I can do to kind of like gain confidence here and there. I mean, just YouTube, how to have, how to gain confidence and, oh my gosh, the, the amount of things that will pop up, right? How do you gain confidence in this? How to, how to be more confident in that? I've even seen some stuff where it's uh, a guy giving you tips on how to walk, right? If you walk, you know, head up, shoulders back, you know, broad, chest out. When you walk with confidence, it like gives you confidence. It's kind of like one of those things where like, you know, fake it till you make it kind of a thing. I don't know. Now, yes, there's some little hacks that we can come up with that can encourage us in the faith, but there is nothing better than God himself. There's nothing better than his word. And so we're going to look today, and we're going to look at the conclusion, the end of Paul's third missionary journey, and we're going to discover how God encourages us and empowers us so that we can have confidence despite any conflicts that we may face. And this is for some of you. He can give us confidence despite even some confusions that we may experience from time to time, all right? How can we have confidence even in the midst of our faith confusions? Well, let's find out. So now today, guys, it's going to be a little different because we got um, the way that things work, and I really want to end this book by the end of the year. I wish I could, like, chunk this one up, but we can't. So there's going to be things in the verses that I got to fly over, so I'm going to encourage you to read Acts chapter 20 later this week or later today. Kind of look at the whole context, the whole chapter. It's 38 verses. But I'm going to give you a little synopsis, some cliff notes here, because there's some patterns that um, if when you initially read it, when I initially read it, Things, you know, seem disconnected, right? And so, but nothing in God's word, guys, is disconnected. It is all there. So the initial, guys, when you read uh, Acts 20, uh, there's really three patterns that I saw. There's three things in this chapter. There's first off movement, a miracle, which that one we're going to read. Because if I just had you guys read that at home and I said nothing, you would be like, really? I would have, okay, we're going to talk about that one. That one we will read. And then we're going to talk about a message. Guys, we have been, uh, for those of you, if you've been with us since day one of January 2022, we end every single sermon with every single service, we ended with a benediction, which is just a Bible verse that we declare over each other. Well, today, we're going to look at the context of that verse. We have said that verse 37 times as a church so far this year. 37 churches with 37 times we've said it. So we are going to look at now the context. What was going on? What was going on when that verse was said? So first off, guys, we got the miracle. I mean, I'm sorry, the movement. So the first six verses kind of seem boring, but it's important. It's just literally Paul crisscrossing all throughout Macedonia, time to time, town to town. And it says, and Paul was going from church to church encouraging them in their faith. So there it is. There's that pattern again. Constantly encouraging others in what God has done and who he's, uh, what he's done. So not only do we have a list of places, but we also have a list, list of people. And again, another thing for us, guys, I'm going to tell you, this is why the church matters. This is why we do things like this, and you're not seeing a video of me on YouTube, okay? It's because the church is more than just a place. It is a people. It's, a, it's a, a group of people that you need. And every time we see Paul, Paul is never alone. Paul is always riding with the crew. And not only is he giving words of encouragement to others, but he surrounds himself with encouragers. Guys, the people that you surround yourself with can determine your life. It will determine the decisions you make. It determines even your destiny, where you will end up. The people that, by the way, here it is, you choose. That's the, the shocker, you know? I mean, yeah, I know you, you maybe you, you can't choose your family, right? You're kind of stuck with your family, right? The kids, are, that's, that's what popped out, right? That's what you get, right? There's no returns. You can't call Amazon. You can't bring it to home, you know, to Walmart and be like, hey, you know, 
You got another one in the back. I don't know. I don't like this one. You can't do that, right? You can't do those things. But your family is your family. But, but even, you know, but your friends and all those other, and even how you choose. See, it's important, guys. There's power in your choices. And Paul always was rolling with a group of people that were always encouraging him, always helping him. That matters. That matters. Because here's the thing, guys. There was a lot of discouraging. Oh, well, actually, before I say that, this is just a, a, a cool fact for us. Again, confirmation of the beauty of God's word. All of the, the crisscrossing, the order of places that Paul went, and even the list of names, that actually coincides with a lot of other letters that Paul wrote. When Paul says in this one letter to the church, yeah, I went to this one place and this one town, this person was there, Luke is verifying it. And so it's pretty cool to see when God's word harmonizes together. But here's why you, you and I need the, the group of encouragers around us in all of the movement of life is because in the midst of Paul going from town to town, encouraging others, it actually says, and some Jews were plotting against him. And so, guys, here's another reason why you and I need to make sure that the crew that we have around us is an encouraging group because there's always going to be people around us that are going to be plotting against us, all right? There's always somebody. There's always somebody that just don't like you and that would love to wreck your life, okay? There's always going to be conflict. And this is intentional. This is intentional stuff. So even more, because there will be people, because there are people, the chances are there are people in your life that will intentionally say things and do things to hurt you. You need to be intentional in the relationships that you craft. Feel me? So that's an important one. So that's a little six verses there. So here we got movement of Paul encouraging others. And then we have a random miracle. Now, again, I've, I've said this before. Every time you read the Bible, especially a narrative like this, when you see like things are happening really fast and then out of nowhere, the author slows down, there's something unique there. Well, all right, we're going to put this up. Let's read Acts uh, 20, and we're going to read five verses, 7 through 11. I'm put on the screen so everybody can read it. And so out in, in one of Paul's crisscrossing, this is what happens. He's at this town in Troas. And it says, on the first day of the week, we, so Luke, the one who wrote the gospel, he's there. So he's an eyewitness to this. That's why there's so much detail, because the author was actually there. Uh, we were assembled to break bread. So uh, the church in this area has gotten together. And uh, breaking bread is, is that they're having a meal, and they're probably having communion, and they're just having church service together, pretty much. Paul spoke to them. And since he was about to depart the next day, because he's going around place to place, he kept on talking until midnight. Yeah, this guy was ignoring the wrap-it-up box. I mean, dude just went all the way through midnight talking and talking about Jesus. Now, there were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled. And a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill, and he sank into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept talking, when he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. But Paul went down, bent over him, embraced him, and said, Don't be alarmed, don't be alarmed, because he's alive. After going back upstairs, breaking bread, eating, Paul talked until dawn. And then he left, and they brought the boy home alive, where, and everybody were greatly comforted. Okay, what? Okay, first off, right there is just a nice little warning. You never know what will happen if you fall asleep in a church service. So be careful. Okay, number one, I told you, right? So be careful. This little boy, I told my, I told my kids, like, what are we going to talk about today, Dad? We'll talk about a little boy, because I got three little boys. And they said, what are we going to do today? I was like, we're talking about a little boy who fell asleep and died in church. So le let's learn the lesson. Let's learn the lesson. <laughs> and so, I don't know. So that was, a, that's, that's weird. But then again, why would Luke include such some, a random thing? And you know what's interesting? This is the only miracle that we have Paul on record doing. That's interesting. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul didn't do anything else. You know, I mean, I would believe and assume that God did use Paul in miraculous ways. But why out of everything? I mean, here's Luke documenting this. Why does Luke only include this one miracle? Well, actually, includes two. He includes the one that we included earlier a couple weeks ago about uh, Paul um, baptizing certain people in the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost kind of came down on these Ephesians. That was unique. And then one miracle. And he's bringing somebody back from the dead. Now, if you've ever read the Old Testament, there's a lot of parallelisms with the prophets Elijah, Elisha, doing the same thing. And so we see that. There's a pattern there. We see Jesus raise people from the dead as well. He, re he uh, rose um, not only Lazarus, but another, uh, the son of another widow. And then Jesus himself rose from the dead. But then in the book of Acts, Paul, Peter, 
Peter, God used Peter to raise a woman named Tabitha. Some of us, if you were here, we, were, we talked about that months ago. And so, see, this little miracle right here, the reason why Luke includes it is, again, to kind of show that there is a God apostolic stamp on Paul. You know, Paul is doing what Peter did. And Jesus said, hey, the, the apostles were going to do certain things that I did to affirm, hey, they were one of us. And so Peter was doing some things that only Peter were doing. And then now here's Paul, who wasn't included. And so the Holy Spirit does certain things to help the church understand, yeah, my hand's on this guy. And so this miracle of seeing the same way God, God used Peter to help the Samaritans receive um, the, you know, their Pentecost and, the, and raise someone from the dead, Paul does the same thing. Well, God does it through Paul. And so this right here is one of many reasons why we have so much of the New Testament written by Paul. Because there was a, an obvious authority that God had put on his life. And it was evident through things like this. And so that's one of the reasons why I believe that this was included. But there's also some really cool lessons here. Because again, with, with, Pete, with the plot before, right? We have people, intentional plots happening. And then you got to be intentional with your relationships. But then sometimes random things happen, right? It doesn't say here that some demon lured someone, you know, sleep sleep and some demon don't you know doesn't just drop kick this dude off the window you know so this wasn't a demonic attack this was literally a what an accident dude was an accident maybe he was working all day i mean the, the kid could be anywhere from 10 to, to 15 you know back in the day they had to work manual labor right we should bring some of that back maybe i don't know and so i don't know you know this instead of just the thumbs bro the thumbs are active you know the thumbs are strong you know they got strong you know strong thumbs but anyways and so here we have some, an accident happen, right? It, and, and that is very discouraging, guys. I'm sorry. Somebody drops dead in the middle of a service. Church service is over, guys. <laughs> Wrap it up. We're done. We're done. It's over. It's over. But you, what was crazy is here you see not only, yo, he's alive. All right, dust him off. Let's go back. And they, they, they go, they do it, and, you know, run another pot of coffee. They Uber more food, and they keep going until dawn i mean this who knows how 12 hours they were there and what was paul doing the whole time encouraging them preaching them giving them encouraging them because this is the last time they're going to see him and so he's encouraging them encouraging them encouraging them and all they wanted to do was to be there and to hear and know all of what god is doing and what has god accomplished for them but even this right here sometimes guys when we're talking about intentional things sometimes there's just unfortunate things that happen Right? There's unfortunate accidents that are that there's no reason for it. Well, you know, God had, you know, that's that's the hard part, right? Sometimes, you know, things happen. I was like, well, you know, God had a reason. God had a purpose. Sometimes there isn't. Sometimes things just happen. But see, what's beautiful about God is that He can put purpose into random things. He can take random acts and give it purpose and repurpose it. So that's so cool because here we saw that. There was an accident here. And you're telling me right now that that wasn't an encouragement to the church to be able to see what God just did in that moment for that boy? Of course. It said it. They were encouraged even more. But what was most encouraging was not just a miracle, but it was the message itself. And so this is the irony of it too, guys. I'm sorry, Luke. My boy is a genius. This, he is literally considered one of the greatest historians ever. And, and one of the things that has shocked me personally by looking at this is the amount of irony that's all in the book of Acts. I've said it many times in different services. Here's another one. Do you know what Eutychus means? Lucky. <laughs> the boy who fell dead, who fell out, Eutychus, his name means lucky. His name means fortunate. And that was a very unfortunate thing happening to a boy named Lucky, right? And so look at the, the irony there. But then again, how fortunate was it for Paul and God to use Paul to raise him back from the dead, right? And he got a second chance. That was pretty cool. And so what does that mean? Because, uh, you know, luck obviously implies randomness. But we know with God there is, not so, there is no such thing as luck, right? But fortunate is a little different. Fortunate is, it, it can imply, but not really. Fortunate is a little different. And what I love even about this story is that even when unfortunate things happen, God can turn it around and produce fortunate results. Listen, I'm sorry, but I can tell you, but I, I don't got stories to go. I got to move on. But there have, there have been things that have happened in my life that I hated the fact that they happened. Some of it was my fault, but that's the intentional things. But sometimes just things, the ball didn't bounce the way I wanted it to. And there was nothing that I did to contribute to it. It just happened, right? And there's some things that just didn't go the way I wanted them to go. But then now looking back at it, 
I'm glad it happened that way. And anybody tracking? You feel me? Like sometimes these things don't go the way you want them to go. But if you had now, as you see things play out, would you go back and change that? No, there's some things that I would not change. Because those things, what God, God took an unfortunate circumstance and turned it around for my good by pro- help me, helping me grow and learn from a lesson like that. So that is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And then another beautiful example here, guys, is listen. Here we have an image of a boy, right, who fell and died and was raised back to life. Well, that is an image also, guys, of this is all of humanity. That this is why we call when at the very beginning, when sin entered the world, we call it a fall, right? We fell from grace and we fell dead in our sins. And all of us who are born, we are fallen. We are born fallen in that default condition. And then here we have, because Jesus himself, he fell. He died. But three days later, an angel was declaring the same thing that Paul declared when he went to that body. He said, he's alive. And that's the same thing that when the people came looking for Jesus, what did the angels say? What you looking for? He's alive. And in the same, because he lives, Christ can take those who have fallen into sin, embrace us, give us life when we respond to Christ, dust us off, and bring us back into the family of God. That's what he does. So isn't that pretty cool there? So it's a beautiful illustration that as well of what God can do, of what God can do. And so, see, even now, see, when you read this, you may think, okay, that's a lot of weird movement. Okay, that doesn't mean anything. And then a miracle. But even, do you see the connection in between the movement and the miracle? It's all the same thing, encouraging, encouraging others in the truth of God and who he is, because that's what we build our life on, right? Look at all those things. And then we got the message. Now, this one is the longest part, so I don't got time to give you all the excerpts, but here's the thing. Paul is about to head to Jerusalem. He's he's about to go to Jerusalem, but he knows he's about to go to Rome. In fact, the scriptures, Paul says that there um, there was a group of people in the city of Ephesus, that's where we've been. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, that's the church where he's been. And, and Paul has anchored three years of his life in this city called Ephesus. He has spent more time here than anywhere else. And so he had spent all this time here and he was been going around kind of doing a little uh, farewell tour to all the churches that he has seen over the years and years that God's been using. him. And he says, but I want to see I want to see the, that Ephesian church just one more time. So he calls them up. They meet out nearby. And he says, guys, he pretty much gives his whole story. I want you to read. It's super cool. He, you know, talks about how he knows how he's going to face difficulties in the future. The Holy Spirit, he knows that the Holy Spirit's confirmed he needs to go to Rome. But there's some issues. There's, there's chains and affliction that await him. But he is excited to go. And that, that's a little weird, right? Could you imagine? I was like, yeah, listen, you know, about a, I don't know when, but God told me I'm going to go through some stuff. But I can't, you know, but I'm going anyways. What? You know, like, that's just, where does he get this? confidence from remember we talked about confidence earlier how is Paul himself confident to face a future that he knows is going to be difficult he doesn't know what it's going to be he just knows talking about anxiety right and we actually was talking about that earlier today and so where does he get the confidence to not be overcome by anxiety where the word he's constantly being encouraged by the Holy Spirit by the word of God and by the church that encouraged him and gave him the confidence to be able to move forward. And so he's really sad because he says, guys, this is the last time I'm going to see you. And then he gives this whole speech. He gives this whole warning telling them, you know, I've been with you this whole time, guys. But the second I go, I want you to know that wolves will come behind me and they will ravage the flock. Talking about the church. And they will even rise up from among your own ranks. And so you got to be cautious and got to be careful of false teachers that will do that. They will be wolves in sheep's clothing that will twist the scriptures and mislead people. Do you know that his, pro- uh, his prophecy was confirmed? If you read First and Second Timothy, which Timothy was one of the boys that was rolling with Paul, Timothy was, had to go back to Ephesus years later. And Timothy's task by Paul, hey, those wolves that I was talking about, they showed up. I need you to go there and help undo the issues and the problems that was going on because people are being misled by so much. And so, so this happened. And guys, this is a good warning for us because there are always wolves in sheep's clothing. There's always snakes in the grass that have the allure of, you know, God. And, and they, they say the Christian sayings, they use Christian texts, right? They do Christianese things. But something's a little off. 
and something's a little off. And we know what they did. If you read those, you know, I'm going to help you so you don't have to. But the false teachers that, that, the, that the, F, the Ephesian church had to deal with, they had two things that they constantly were after them. And this is what misled them. Guys, it's the same two things that mislead us today. It's Gnosticism and legalism. Those are the two things that snuck up. Gnosticism just means knowing. And so what happened was there was people that were showing up and says, oh, yeah, I know the scripture says this and this and this, but God told me. And they would say things that you couldn't confirm here. You couldn't act here. They were just randomness. And so they would, the people then became so in, encouraged, no, excited maybe. They became more enthralled with what the man of God is trying to say than the word of God. That's the anchor. Because can God speak through people providentially? Yes. But if, that, if, if it is not echoing something, a principle that is not here, then we got to be cautious, guys. Because we have to be cautious. It still happens today. Like somebody, literally, like you could read something and it's just, uh, okay, yeah, been there, done that. And then here's some person that says something just obnoxiously weird, but it sounds so mysterious. And we react to those things and rather than this. And so that happens to us. we got to be cautious with that. And then the legalism was the other thing, guys. They were out there trying to do certain things, and they were put and say, hey, this is how you follow in the faith. you got to obey, you got to do, and you got to and do this, 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 and then you'll be okay. You do this, 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 then you'll be blessed. But see, both things have the same problem, same root. Gnosticism and legalism have the root in you. It is a faith that is dependent on your understanding and your ability. You see that? It's on you. And that's where the twist comes from. Because we are not supposed to rely on our own understanding. Where, what do we rely on? On the truth of God by his grace. It's not on us to save ourselves. It's on his saving grace and his word. We don't rely on our understanding, but in all our ways as Proverbs, right? We acknowledge Christ. We acknowledge God. We acknowledge his word. And so we don't put our faith in our understanding and we don't put our faith in our actions. We put our faith in what Christ has said and what Christ has done. See the difference? We put our faith in what Christ has said and what Christ has done. And But guys, we have to be very cautious because that happens still today. We need to be cautious. And another thing, you know what that they did? These little false teachers, they, it happens every time, man. One of the things that they did, Timothy has to unravel this, is they were saying, oh, you know, you don't have to get married. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. Coming up with a bunch of rules that were not here. And guys, always, man, the enemy, if you always go somewhere, this is how you know. This is like a little warning sign. All right, the enemy always wants to redefine marriage at all costs. When you see that going on, there should be red flags, all right? Red flags when you see the redefinition of marriage and of regulation of what that is. And, and then when they put God on it, even worse, okay? So you got to be cautious with that one. And so here, that almost sounds a very discouraging word, right? Hey, guys, uh, it's going to be difficult for you. Good luck, all right? And he, no, he doesn't leave them hanging like that. You know what he does? Classic Paul. He gives them, he gave them a discouraging message. Hey, be careful. It's going to get hard for you, and I'm not going to be here. He gives them an encouraging word now. And the encouraging word is the benediction. It's part of the benediction that we've been saying all year. Guys, how can you guard your heart towards the lies of the enemy? By building your and filling your heart with the truth. You see that? It's as simple as that. How can you protect and how can you guard your heart from the lies? You got to fill your heart with the truth. Because if your heart has holes in it, if your heart is not being filled constantly, if your heart is not being filled with the truth, something else will fill it. All right? Something else will fill it. The enemy will fill it and twist you. It's twisted. And if he puts a twisted truth in you, you, your thinking gets twisted. Your actions, your feelings get twisted. Your actions and your life ends up all kind of twisted. All right? And so what did he say? This is the benediction that we've been saying all year. So online, I know I can't hear you, but say it out loud. Everybody, we've been saying it out loud 37 times. Let's do it again. Can we read Acts 20, 32 together? And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. We have said that almost 40 times. What does that mean? Well, look at the context, right? He's saying, guys, it's going to be difficult for you. But what I can do is I commit you to God. Meaning, I trust God. 
He can do the work. He is going to be able to help you. My God is enough. I commit you to God, to a group of people that were about to go through something and he wasn't going to be there anymore. I commit you to God. And but not just to God, but it was what? To God and the word, keep on going, of his grace. Guys, grace is one of the coolest, most beautiful words in all of Scripture. Grace is nothing but the hand of God in your life, the unmerited, undeserved hand of God in your life. You can call this a blessing, which it is, but the grace of God is literally him doing the work in you, despite maybe what you had done and become. But when we put ourselves in that, in his hands, the grace of God is what saves us. It is by faith, but it is grace. It is God doing so much in us. And it is the grace of God that can do, he said, three things. I'm telling you, man, I'm, I'm really hoping that y'all, I, I, if, if at all, if by, I try to preach in a way to also teach you guys to think through scriptures yourself so you can find and mine these nuggets too. So when you ask them, say, all right, he commits him to the God and the word of his grace, that can. So I was like, whoa, so what does the word of grace do? He said three things. Did you catch it? He said that he's able to, build you up. What else was it? He said to be able to build you up. And then he said to, I'm losing it, build you up, give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Three things, being built up, an inheritance, sanctified. What do those mean? Guys, this is huge for you to understand because this is, it just encourages you even more to know. So what does it mean, the first part, to build you up? Well, that just, that literally is talking about the present. This is that literally the word of God is able to build you up. And I know that's the irony of the song we sang earlier, right? And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, right? We were saying I will build, but in reality, how do we build it? It's really him doing it though, right? Now we build our life by committing ourselves to God who he builds us then. You see how that goes? And so you see how that goes? He now builds, he's the one who builds us up. This is what it means to grow in the faith. So if some of you have ever wondered and struggled, oh, well, I'm not growing, or how do I grow in the faith, and how do I do this, how do I do that? It's not you, my boy, okay? It's God in you. You see it? It's like, oh, how do I do it? How do I do it? How do I do it? Put your hands in the one who can do it. You see that? Because he is the one, the word of God is the one who builds us up. He is the one who encourages us and builds our faith and builds our hope and our peace and our understanding of who God is. That's speaking of the present, that the word of God and the grace of God and the word of his grace is able to currently in the present build you up and then said and give you a what? An inheritance. I don't know how many of us have an inheritance waiting for us in this lifetime. All right. If you do, can we be friends? Okay. I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know how many of us have that kind of inheritance, or maybe some of you are trying to build an inheritance for those, the you know, people that you, family, friends, whatever. I don't know. But obviously, guys, an inheritance kicks in at what point? Somebody got to die, right? Somebody got to die, and then the inheritance kicks in. And so Paul uses this word inheritance a lot. He used it in the book of Ephesus, in the Ephesian letter. And he says, and in Christ, we have an inheritance according to the purpose of his grace. He, and the inheritance is really the Holy Spirit is the sealing of our inheritance. That's eternal life, guys. Inheritance is used in the New Testament over and over again. Paul used it. Peter used it. Other people use it. The word inheritance speaks of our, the inheritance of an eternal life, of being with God forever. And so what does this mean? So the word of God, the word of God's grace, not only builds us up in the present, but it pulls us and it reminds us and helps us to understand and really pulls us towards our future. That's what the word of God means. There's motion that is happening. I mean, there's movement in Paul's letter, but there's motion with us. We're either heading towards God or we're heading away. You know, we're heading you know, towards him in eternity or away from his love in, in eternity in hell. And so we're, our souls are in motion right now. And so when he is saying this, he's saying, listen, not only can the word of God help you to understand and grow today, but it is building you up, taking you, shaping you, forming you into who you will be one day. That's what that is. And it's an understanding of the eternal life. Guys, you know that Jesus said what eternal life is. A lot of times we think eternal life is what? Like inheritance, right? Eternal life kicks in 
right? When I kick the bucket, right? That's when it happens, right? Eternal life kicks in when I kick the bucket. That's when I kind of cash a check, right? I get my ticket, I'm in, right? No. You know that Jesus never said that's what it was? Jesus himself said in the prayer, he says, and this is eternal life. That should cause any one of you, when Jesus says, let me explain, this is eternal life. Y'all should lean forward. Y'all should be leaning forward right now. Anyways, this is what it says. This is eternal life that they may know me, that they may know the Father. Eternal life, guys, is nothing but understanding and getting to know progressively more and more the source of where that life comes from. Eternal life, guys, is now. You get to experience eternal life now the more you get to know God. And the more you get to know God, the more he shapes you and molds you. And that future identity, guys, because those who are in Christ Jesus, you right now, when God sees you, he doesn't see you the way you are now. When Christ sees you, he sees you the way you will be. Remember, his his eyes are not like time. His eyes are different. So you may see your faults. You may see your failures. You may see your imperfections. But if you are in Christ and you have been forgiven, you may see all those things, but God doesn't see it. God sees the righteousness of Christ over you. Praise God for that. Praise God that God does not see me the way I see myself. And so you know what the Word of God does? The Word of God helps us to understand and see ourselves more and more the way God sees us the way he will, we will be. That's what he does. But it's still not done. And there was the other one. You, you heard the last part? Sanctified. That's a word. I mean, I don't, we don't really use that word. So the word of God's grace, what does it does? What does it do? It builds us up, gives us an inheritance. So we're moving, becoming more of that among all who are sanctified. So guys, I'm here to tell you, here's the bad news. This action does not happen for everybody. All right? Meaning, God's grace in your life and moving in your life and, and bringing you, right, making all things work together for your good. He doesn't make all things work together for everybody. He says he makes all things work together for good for those who are called, God's purpose, those who love him. Here he says God will build you up and bring you and give you an eternal inheritance among all who are sanctified. Sanctified speaks of salvation. Sanctified means what we talked about earlier. Now he's talking about the past. See, the past event has to happen for you to experience God in the present and in the future. And that past event is faith in Jesus Christ, saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so that is good news for us, guys, because that means, like I said a minute ago, have you put your trust and confidence in Christ? If the answer is no, then the next answer is uh, you need to trust in Jesus. Have you ever, you guys ever seen those little analogies of, it's like a picture where it has these yes or no questions, right? Is your car broken, right? Yes. And then it kind of shoots different arrows, right? Can you, you know, um, can you fix it with duct tape? Yes. Okay, then do it. And then you're done, right? And so it kind of gives these little things. And if it's no, then you go until you find your yes. Well, guys, listen, if you have not put your trust and confidence in Christ, if you have not experienced that, and you're like, well, I'm not seeing God do anything. I was like, well, what if you've never done anything? You know, maybe you're not seeing his grace because you haven't trusted and received his grace. Maybe. Now, a lot of times you could, if you, you could be in a growing relationship with God, meaning, well, you, you could have been saved, but oh, but I still don't see God moving in my life. Well, how much are you committed to the word of his grace or the ways of this world? I know I bothered somebody on that one. You feel me on that? I was like, if you were, you could be saved, but if you are not growing, if you're not seeing growing in your faith, then maybe it's you are not committed to God. You are not committed as much to the way, to the word of his grace. Rather, you are more committed or too committed to the ways of this world. And so maybe that's, that, that is a big anchor there for that. But the good news, guys, is that if we have been sanctified, that we can grow in that understanding more. That is possible, again, because of God's grace. So you see, he's giving this amazing, encouraging word right before he leaves. And he's trying to tell him, guys, life is going to hit you all kind of ways. I don't know what's going to, I know I got afflictions coming my way. I don't know when, I don't know who, I don't know what. You got some afflictions coming your way, he's telling the church. Some wolves are going to be showing up, and they're going to do damage. They will do damage. You got some afflictions coming up too. But in the same, where did I get my confidence to say, I count my life as lost? Where do I get my confidence? From God and the word of his grace, which I know how things will end up. And so you need to do the same thing. 
the end of the, the end of the message, he kind of gives them some more stuff, really cool stuff that I can't talk about. You can read it. Um, but it's really sad, guys. They're all like crying and hugging each other. I mean, they've spent three years with each other. And now it's time to go their separate ways. You know, and, and Paul says, I'm never going to see you again. The chances are. And so they're like, oh, no, Paul, don't tell you that. You know? And so they're all crying and they're hugging and they walk them over into, they're having like kissing each other too. They're just like, oh, man, we just love you so much. Why was so much love for Paul? Because they were so in love also with what God did through, through, through him, you know? And so they walk him over to the boat and like, all right, Paul, we'll never see you again. We wave goodbye and walk away. You know, what's crazy is that, that Paul does meet him again. And so that's the assumption when we read First and Second Timothy, they meet again. So could you imagine, like, I'm never going to see you again. And now we do because that reunion might have been pretty exciting, right? And so that's pretty cool. Well, guys, listen, I want you to understand that um, with us, we have a reunion coming. Who knows when? Some say sooner than others. I'm, uh, you know, I'd rather be pleasantly surprised than uh, disappointed. Um, so I don't put timelines on when God's going to show up. I'd rather be pleasantly surprised than disappointed. Okay? Let's all just do that. We just prepare to live your life for the long haul. And if he shows up today, I'm like, okay, good, because I wasn't that ready. I, was, I don't know, right? But, but you want to try to be. Guys, we all have a reunion coming up. They split up. They didn't know if they were going to ever see each other again in this lifetime. But we do know that we will see Christ at some point. That is a guaranteed reunion. That is a guaranteed reunion. And we know that we don't have to fear when we face God if we've already submitted and accepted him as our Savior. Guys, the scripture says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at one point that Jesus is Lord. It's going to be undeniable. But listen, in, at that point, it's going to be too late. If you do not surrender and, and receive Christ as your Savior in this life, you will have to experience God as your judge in the next. And that's not a good one. But now there's, there's, there's hope for us. If you're hearing me, all right, if you're hearing me, hopefully you're not like Eutychus, right? You're like, hopefully like three minutes ago, just, you know, hopefully you're like Eutychus all just sleeping on this right now, all right? Because I want you to understand that I know Eutychus, his name was fortunate, but I want you to know he's not the only fortunate one. You are fortunate. Do you understand that there's people in the world right now that aren't hearing, aren't hearing this idea? They aren't hearing the message of there is a God who died for you and lived and did all this for you and wants to build you up and give you an inheritance. You are fortunate to hear these things. Now, it's unfortunate if we just take it and toss it and move on to the next. But you are fortunate. And guys, every believer in Christ Jesus, we are fortunate to have such a faithful God. We are fortunate to have such a faithful God that gives us not only himself, but gives us his word, which the truth, it's about him. You, you cannot disconnect the author from his book. Y'all following me? You can't follow the author and ignore the book. It is all together in this. But guys, you and I are fortunate to have such a faithful God that despite our failures and our faults, he wants to sanctify us, save us, build us up, and bring us home. We are fortunate to have such a faithful God. But see, I don't know when that reunion is going to happen. I don't know when. I don't know if that's going to take you know, place first, or I don't know if it's going to be our passing. And so what do we do? We all have afflictions before us, guys. I don't care who you are. I, I know some of you. I don't know everybody. But I do know this about you. You're going to face something in, at some point. You're probably facing it now, right? And here's the, the discouraging news. Once you're done with that one, buckle up, buttercup, because something else is coming right after it, okay? That's what it is, right? That's just life. Once you get after this one, and there's another one, and then there's another one. I don't know what it is, but where can we find the confidence to face whatever comes our way by doing what Paul told the church to do. And now I'm going to tell you to do it. Commit yourself to Christ, right? Commit yourself to Christ. He said, commit yourself to God and the word of his grace, and then he will. Do you see what that is? So that's how we build our life, by committing ourselves. And even that word, I had to zoom in on that word. It was, I was so glad that it was so beautiful. The word to commit something, it speaks of nearness. So if you want to commit yourself to God, it means drawing near to him. It means throwing yourself. Literally, it's the definition, throw yourself at his feet, at the mercy of our Lord. That is what it means to commit yourself to Christ. This is not just something, but is fully, not some of you, but all of you. That's what it means to commit 100% all in right? That's what that means. It's 100% all in to be with God in him. Uh, another interesting analogy of committing is the same way that a waiter presents food at the table. 
Has anyone ever had a, a meal in which they not only presented it, but it was like in that, that um, you know, bowl, and then they do the, you know, big reveal at the end? I don't know if anyone's ever done that. I've seen it in movies and whatnot, right? And they do that big reveal. Well, you know what that is? They've committed that plate to you. They've given you that plate, the food, so that you could consume it. 100%. They didn't just give you some of it. They gave you all of it, right? They gave you all of it. And in the same way, you and I are to present our souls to the Lord, not so he can have some of it, but that he can have all of it. You see what that is? That is how we commit ourselves to God. And it means also to be exposed, like it is to give our whole soul, to expose our soul before God so that he could do that. This is how we commit ourselves to God. And another beautiful analogy is it means to really lay down your life. To commit yourself to Christ means to lay down all of it. And do you know the only other time that word commit shows up in the New Testament? I am. I, I, I can believe it. One time. Only one other time that word was used. Guess who used it? Jesus. One of his last dying words on the cross. Jesus said, Father, I commit my spirit into your hands. The only other time that word was used. I commit my spirit into your hands. What did the You guys know that Jesus did, Jesus was not murdered. He gave his life. Nothing was taken from him. Jesus, and that's the reason why, is because Jesus has all authority. He was able to lay down his life, and because it wasn't taken, he laid it down, he was able to pick it back up again, all right? And that's the power that God has. And so when Jesus said, I commit my spirit into your hands, he is telling his father, Dad, I trust you. Ashley earlier today was talking about that. Isaac had to commit his life to the father Abraham's hands. Dad, I trust you that God will provide. Abraham had to commit his son into the father's hands. I, I trust that the Lord will provide. You see that? I commit myself. That's what it means to give us. And guys, God cannot build you up if you don't lay down. That's the thing. If you lay down, not just to him, but again, to his word. To his word, the more you see, the more you know, the more you grow, the more you do. In him, and it's not legalism at all. This is something that you don't do because, no, you do it because you want to. This is a desire, a growing desire. And it is God in you. And for God to build you up, you got to lay down. And guys, I challenge you to commit yourself to Christ and his word. Because here's the thing. I, I know this. I don't know all the details about y'all's lives neither. But I do know this. You've all, you're all committed to something. You are all committed to something. You have all given yourself to something. We do it all the time, right? We do it all the time. And what we commit ourselves to is what conforms us. Conforms implies complying, obeying, becoming similar to. Whatever you commit yourself to, you conform to. So if you're seeing patterns in your life, I'm seeing negative patterns in my life, I wonder, what have you committed to that you are reflecting? You see that? What are you reflecting? Maybe you're committed to your flesh, and so you're reflecting your flesh instead of reflecting the spirit. What we commit ourselves to conforms us. What we deposit our souls in determines what happens to it. And that's another beautiful word. When I looked at the word commit, it, mean, it, it speaks of depositing, entrusting something to someone. Now, let's do this analogy to wrap up. Um, imagine we had two boys, two guys, right? 1972, all right? We have two guys in 1972. They each had $100. One of them took $100 and put it in the shoebox, all right, and didn't touch it for 50 years. How much is that $100 worth 50 years later? Anybody? Online? Yes, I'll read you later. How much is that $100 worth 50 years later? Well, I heard some answers. Is it still $100? It's a still, a, um, air quotes, $100. It, you know, the, the dollar didn't change. It's still a $100 bill. But in 50 years... 50 years, the U.S. dollar has depreciated 85%. 85, yeah, it's, it's not, it is not, you cannot buy $100 worth of stuff like the before. So, yeah, it's not the same. And so actually, $100, $100, if you left it and didn't touch it, and you had that same $100 now, it can, it's the equivalent of buying $15 worth of stuff. Like, yeah, you need way more money. Yeah, before $100, you can buy a lot. I remember, I right, shout it out. I remember when I was, this is how you know when you're old. When I was, when I was young. That's when you start talking like that. When I, was, when I was 18. When I was 18, gas was 95 cents a gallon. All right, shout out. What was it yours when you were a teenager? 32 cents when you were uh, online, type it. Anybody else? I remember it being 95. 50, huh? 
30-something, right? Now, what happened over time? It's called inflation. That's a normal thing. That's a natural thing. That happens. It just happens. And so a $100 bill, you're going to need, you, can, you cannot buy the amount of, man, $100 back in the day can buy you a lot. The same $100 can barely buy you anything. Now, check this out. What if the same, what if another boy, two brothers, one put $100 in a shoebox, didn't touch it for 50 years. Another one took $100 and put it in a mutual fund and invested it for 50 years. At 18%, 50 years, I did the math, that $100 would turn into $757,922.31. Three quarters of a million. So guys, what happened? What happened to that 100? Are they the same $100 bills? Yeah, they're the same. They're the same $100. How come one depreciated in value? And how did the other one go from 100 without any more further investing, guys? How did that $100 bill turn into three quarters of a million? You know what it's called? That's called compound interest. But you know what determined the $100? It was where it was deposited, right? Where you deposited that money. Now, some of y'all... Don't get distracted. Now you're doing like stock trading and stuff like that right now. Chill. You can do that in like 20 minutes. Calmate. Calm down. Okay? But listen, what changed the $100? It was, the $100 was $100. It was where it was deposited. It was where it was deposited. Guys, listen, there's a lot of people out there. I've been there and I can be tempted to, and, and you guys are all in the same boat. Do not deposit your soul into the shoebox of this world. Do not deposit your soul into the shoebox of this world. Because it all is going to promise you things. It's going to do this and that. But in the same way that money depreciates, listen, that's the same thing in life, man. It's the same thing. You put your, the shoebox of, the, of this world is yourself. It's your selfishness. It's what you want. It's your pride. It's your greed. It's your this. It's your that. It's your whatever. It's you want it. You want it. If you deposit your soul into the shoebox of this world, I'm going to warn you guys, it's not that in 50 years it's going to be worthless. No, if you deposit your soul into the shoebox of this world, you are hopeless because there is no hope without Christ. There is none without him. If you have him, you have it all. There is none, but if you deposit your soul to gain worth and value and significance into the shoebox of this world, you have wasted, talking about unfortunate circumstances, you have wasted the most precious thing that's there, and it's you, your life. But if you deposit your soul in the hands of your Savior, there is spiritual compound interest that happens. Again, when you deposit yourself to God and to his word, did you see what happens with compound interest? $100 grows. It works. And so when you deposit your soul into God, when you commit to God and to the word of his grace, that compound interest builds up in you. And that's how you begin to grow and to know more. That is him in you. It is not your doing. It is where you have placed yourself in. And if you commit yourself and deposit your soul into the, the hands of your Savior, you deposit your mind, everything into God's word, which I pray you're doing right now, the compound interest of the love and power and grace of God is going to work in you. It will build you up and bring you into that inheritance more and more. And so, see, it is really God in us, but there's that decision. Where will you put your soul? And that's why I want to challenge you guys to commit your life to Christ. If you've never done it, and I'm not telling you to commit your life to religious things, because that's, not, that's still a shoebox. You can commit your life to religious things, and that is another shoebox. Don't do that. I'm committing yourself to Christ, putting your trust in who he is and what he has done for you. Because that is what salvation is, guys. Some of us need to, need to maybe, I want to challenge even your understanding of salvation. When you think salvation, you may think, well, God saved me, right? Saved me from what? All right? Oh, from hell. He saved me from me. He saved me. Where did God, no, listen, God saved you from his wrath. God saved you from himself. God has to judge the world. And if you, if your soul is not in him, it is in the shoebox of this world, then there is no saving you. You have made your decision and God has to judge you. But when you have placed your trust in Christ, God has saved you from that judgment. It, only God can save you from himself. You see what I'm saying? Only God can save you from himself. And so when we talk about save, though, a lot of times we think of the past, right? We use that even the past term, right? God saved me. Oh, I remember the day that I was saved. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm saved. Duh. Past tense. But guys, salvation is not just past Salvation is past, present, and future. Salvation 
God did it. But God, salvation is also the building up. Salvation is also you learning to walk in the new identity that God has given you. Salvation is learning to know Christ. That is eternal life, that you may know him, that you may begin to walk in his, the identity that you have in Christ, that you may reflect more and more of your life in him and him in you. Guys, salvation is not just past. Salvation is present until the day that it is exclamation point done when Jesus returns and sets all things right. So guys, God not only saved us, but we are in the process of him saving us as well. That is the grace of our faithful God. And it's that's where we can get the encouragement and the confidence to fight conflict. And even some of us, if, I know some of y'all dealing with some confusion, even with your own faith. And that's good because sometimes the Holy Spirit needs to challenge you like saying, hey, you had an assumption. You thought this was it. No, you know, there's more to it and there's more to it. There's nothing wrong, guys, with that, with continuing to know and grow, knowing that none of us will fully know everything perfect. And it's okay, because our salvation is not determined on how much we know. Our salvation is determined by who we know. Do you know Christ? Do, have you placed your trust and confidence in him? If that's it, that is enough. And that is, again, God's grace. That is enough. And he has made it enough for us. And so we can learn, guys, learning to walk in that new identity despite our challenges is what's important. Because the reality is that the future is unwritten. I didn't come up with that. Um, let me, I want to, don't put it up yet, but... Um, Again, this is how you date yourself, all right? I remember a time when I used to read my cartoons, okay? Some of y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? I was like, I remember getting the newspapers on Saturday mornings, right, and Sunday sometimes, and you'd go to the comic section, and you're reading all those comics. The Far Side was funny. I like those. I like the Garfield ones, Peanuts. There's some other interesting ones there. Has anyone ever heard of Calvin and Hobbes? Anybody remember that cartoon? A little boy and a tiger? Some of you guys are like, read a cartoon. I watch them. I was like, yeah, I know. Okay, you know, it was two-dimensional. It was on paper. Let me show you Calvin and Hobbes' last comic. We're going to end with this. This was the last comic strip that they did in um, December 31st, 1995. And it talks about this. It says, the future is unwritten. So have hope. Explore. And most of all, try to enjoy the ride. Guys, that's, that's great, beautiful, and it's inspiring. But it's also discouraging. All right, the future is unwritten. So have hope. In what? Okay. In, in what? I don't know. In what? Explore. How? Where am I going? <laughs> you know, the other one is, and most of all, try to enjoy the ride. How am I going to try? I don't know what's going to happen now. Like, what do you mean? You see, so it's beautiful, but it's confusing at the same time. But let me tell you guys, listen, for us as believers, that is not us. That is not us. For us as Christians, listen, the future is written future is written and we know the one who wrote it and we can know the one who wrote it and because the future is written we must commit ourselves to the author of the one who wrote the future and the past and the present who's writing the present now we must commit ourselves to Christ because when we commit ourselves to Christ that's why how we have hope when you commit yourself to Christ, that's how you have hope. When you commit yourself to God and the word of his grace, that's how we can explore and to learn how to live for the Lord. When we commit ourselves to Christ, most of all, that, and you know, when we commit ourselves to him and the word of his grace, that's how we can learn to enjoy the ride, knowing that the same God who brought us into salvation is the same God who builds us up until the day he brings us home. That's where our hope lies, and that's where our confidence lies, in Christ. So commit your life to Christ. Listen, I know you and I, we are all committed to something. You give yourself to something and someone every single day. And I want you to prayerfully consider. I pray that the Holy Spirit may reveal to you right now just exactly, not so much how much are you putting in, but where are you putting your soul in? What are you committing yourself to? Where are you depositing yourself? And if you're not seeing what you should be seeing, well, there's good news. Jesus says that all, again, who call on his name, all who come to the Lord with broken and contrite hearts, with means just sincere hearts, he will never turn away. So I want to just challenge you right now. Listen, it's like one of those things when it comes to even investing, right? When I hear news like that, 
uh, about, man, I, I can't believe all that money, man. I, I should have done that years ago. I should have done that years ago. And then I don't do it today. Listen, you and I should have given our lives to the Lord years ago, a long time ago. But uh, better late than never. And so I just want to challenge you, if you've never given your life to Christ, commit your life to Christ. He will never let you down. Commit your life to Christ, and he will consecrate you. And he will do all that needs to be done. But again, this is something that is a daily thing. Put your hands. Commit yourself to God and the word of his grace. Submit yourself to him. Surrender. Get to know the Lord. And he will empower you and give you the right kind of confidence. The confidence can, that can only be found in an identity in Christ. Everything, everything is rooted in him. And so I just challenge you to make that shift. Do it today.